Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, freaks and geeks of all ages, welcome to the first ever episode of the Weekly Wrestling Review, brought to you by Sports Obsessive and the Ruminations Radio Network. I am your host, Neil Gray, and before we get started, I suppose I should explain just what the idea is behind the show. Every seven days, I'll be taking a look at the hottest stories in the world of professional wrestling and giving you my thoughts and opinions on all the dirt that's fit to print. Now, if you listen to my other show, The Old Metal Bar Steward on Ruminations Radio Network, Cheap Plug, you'll know that I can be quite an opinionated son of a bitch. And if you don't listen to it, then why not? It's a cracking show and well worth your time. But with this in mind, and as I don't want anyone else getting into the shit from my mouth, it's time for a disclaimer. The thoughts and opinions in the weekly wrestling review are mine and mine alone, and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of Sports Obsessive and the Ruminations Radio Network. So if you want to sue someone, then I'm your huckleberry. So what do I have on offer for the first ever episode of the Weekly Wrestling Review, I hear you ask? Well, unless you've never watched pro wrestling before, or have been living under a rock for the past couple of months, then you know that this past weekend was WrestleMania 37, and in honour of the show of shows, I thought I'd kick off with my review of the two-night spectacular. And I use the word spectacular very, very loosely. After last year's Mania was held behind closed doors, this one was opened up to 25,000 screaming fans at the Tampa Bay Stadium. And if I'm to be honest, having the fans there was probably the worst thing they could have done. One of the things I didn't realise about the COVID pandemic stopping people from attending live events was how much I hated people attending live events in the first place. The problem is that wrestling fans have a terrible tendency to go into business for themselves. And it's been a pet peeve of mine for decades now. Don't get me wrong, the WrestleMania crowd across both nights wasn't on the level of some that have been to wrestling shows, but they still had their moments. You could almost hear a pin drop during some matches, Ripley vs. Asuka being the one that immediately springs to mind, and the chance of Roman sucks bugged the hell out of me. Now I get it, you're not supposed to like Roman Reigns, he's a heel. But to me, it seemed as if those in attendance had forgotten we'd been living without wrestling for a goddamn age and just reset to their fuck range mentality. Basically, fuck that crowd. Anyway, onto the show itself. First up was a WWE title match between Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley, and yeah, it was alright. After the actual show had been delayed due to a massive thunderstorm, both Drew and Bobby made their entrances, though Drew did seem to fuck up the sword into the stage bit. They then proceeded to beat lumps out of each other in a decent enough fashion. The only real problem that I had with this match was the same problem I always have when you put two big-ass motherfuckers together in a wrestling ring, and that's not a great deal happened. They traded bombs, hit a few decent suplexes on each other, but the fact that Drew hit Big Bob with three futures shock DDTs and he still kicked out pretty much told you there and then that Drew wasn't walking away with a title. What did annoy me, however, was the distraction finish something that would play a large part across both nights. I know that the WWE wants to keep Drew strong, but when this kind of thing happens, it just makes me think that the person on the receiving end is an idiot, especially when it was such a stupid thing to get distracted by. It's almost like MVP forgot that he was supposed to do something that caught Drew off guard and just kind of yelled at him like a drunk uncle at a family party. And for some reason, it was enough to make Drew take his eye off Lashley long enough for Big Bob to grab him in the hurt lock. Now I'm guessing that Drew's been to a few family reunions where a drunk uncle's yelled at him due to him being Scottish and everything, 
and it surprised him so much that he forgot what he was doing. Well, it's either that or he's too stupid to just ignore it and carry on Claymore kicking Lashley's head off of his shoulders. You decide. Next up was a turmoil match to decide the number one contenders for the women's tag team titles. The winners would face Jackson, Shane and Baszler the following night. I'll be honest here, this was my dump break as I had zero interest in this. This is down to the fact that the WWE has botched the women's tag team division so fucking badly that whenever they come on TV, I just zone out. It's obvious the company doesn't give a shit about the belt, so why the fuck should I? Anyway, uh, Natalie and Tamina won. Woo, fucking who? Cesaro vs Seth Rollins was up next, and goddamn, that was the shot in the arm that this year's WrestleMania needed. After one so-so match, and one that I couldn't care less about if it was a Kardashian, Cesaro and Rollins tore the fucking roof off. They did exactly what you're supposed to do on a show of this magnitude and decided that they were going to apply all the stops. It's the wrestling equivalent of trying to blow the other band off the stage and they did that and then some. The two just gel so well together that you could stick them in a phone booth and they still put on a five-star classic. When Rollins went for the curb stop and Cesaro countered with an uppercut, I almost lost my tiny mind. It wasn't as good as the RKO we took from Morton in the same circumstances at WrestleMania 31, but it was bloody close. I've got to admit, I thought that Rollins was going to get the win here, but the fact that he didn't, and it still won't have any effect on his character going forward, is more than enough reason to realise that Seth Rollins is pretty untouchable within the WWE. And as long as you lose the right way, you can both get over, which he did and they did. I'm hoping now that Big Vinnie Mac gets his thumb out of his ass and starts pushing Cesaro to the moon. But I wouldn't be surprised to see him back in a tag team with Nakamura by the end of the month. Next up, Omos destroyed a new day and it was glorious. Let's face it, this was always on the card, but it's the way that they executed it that made the story worth getting invested in, instead of it just being big man squash little bugs. AJ can play epic douchebag better than anybody. But the way that Woods and Kingston set about separating him from his incredibly large friend was a great piece of booking. Obviously, no one wants to get in through the ring with a monster, and so every time Styles even tried to get to his corner, either Woods or Kingston would wail on him so he couldn't. What he really liked here was that the New Day started getting cockier and cockier as the match progressed, to the point where they were actually taunting Omos as they denied AJ at every opportunity. This was only making the big bastard angrier. So when they eventually fucked it up and the tag was made, they were always going to be on the ass end of an ass whooping. And sweet Jesus, this guy is a fucking beast. Both Woods and Kingston were ragdolls in his presence, bouncing off him like he was an actual fucking wall. And when he started throwing them around for shits and giggles, he cemented his spot as a future top heel in the company. That phenomenal forearm that Styles hit off of his goddamn shoulders was pretty jaw-dropping as well. I fully expect the new tag champs to reign for quite a while, right up until Omos gets pissed off with AJ taking all the credit for their success and pops him like a zit. Rawr! You're gonna get these hands! Rawr! These hands! Rawr! You're gonna get them! Choo-choo! I'm a fucking train! Look, I get it. Braun Strowman's for the kids. He's gone from being the monster among men to being about as scary as Barney the fucking dinosaur. He's managed to blow every opportunity that's been handed to him to be the face of the company. 
So now he's watered down Donk the Clown. But if that's the case, what's the story? If it was to say, hey, kids, bullies never win, then he should have stepped into the steel cage and battered the life out of Shane McMahon for about five minutes. It should have been a squash match, but instead Shane O'Mac got in far too much offense. And even though Strowman came out victorious, it shouldn't ever have been in question. That's a far better message to send to your children than, well, they might win sometimes, but in the end you'll come through. Fuck that bollocks. Kids, if someone's picking on you, kick them as hard as you can in the nuts and then beat the shit out of them. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Weekly Wrestling Review. Also, Shane, seriously, stop taking such stupid risks. No one needs to see you be thrown off the top of a steel cage. No one. You keep this up and you're one bad bump away from a fucking wheelchair, my friend. Time catches up with us all. No need to give him a helping hand. When I sat down to watch Bad Bunny and Damian Priest, first The Miz and John Morrison, I was expecting your usual celebrity does WrestleMania kind of match. You know, Priest does all the heavy lifting and Mr. Bunny gets in for the big finish, bada bing, bada boom. What I didn't expect was Bad Bunny to bounce around the ring like a pro and hit the kind of moves you'd expect seasoned veterans to pull off. Before this, I had Cesaro vs. Rollins down as my match of the night, but such was his performance, along with that of The Miz and John Morrison, who sold expertly for him, that this was easily the best thing on offer, possibly across both nights. I swear to God, if you saw him pull out a Canadian destroyer and didn't pop, then there's something seriously fucking wrong with you. Yes, the celebrity team was always going to win, but you could have shown up, done fuck all, taken his paycheck and the free publicity and moved on. Instead, he went above and beyond the call of duty, and if he ever gives up his musical career, I'd happily watch him tear it up in a WWE ring every week. And so we come to the headliner for night one, Sasha Banks first Bianca Belair. Well, this is going to annoy a lot of you, but I thought it was meh the best. The thing is, and I've been saying this for ages now, Belair is being brought through the ranks far too quickly, and this match proved me right. It's not that there was anything wrong with it, per se, it's just that they didn't click due to how green Belair still is. Banks had to do a lot of the work in this match, and God love her for trying, she almost, almost made it a decent bang. But the fact remains that if you know anything of bank wrestling, you can see that Belair's lack of polish held this match back. It just seemed janky, they didn't gel. And though Sasha tried to guide her through the proceedings, she was either too nervous to listen or thought she knew better. Either way, this was not a WrestleMania headlining event, and I fear, as he's done before, Big Vinny will blame Banks for its failure and demote her back down the ranks again instead of looking at the EST and questioning whether or not they should have put the belt on her when she's clearly, clearly not ready to be the face of the SmackDown women division. If night one wasn't a terrible show, night two made up for it in spades. Nowhere was this more obvious than the opening match, Randy Orton versus The Fiend. Now, I'm a huge Bray Wyatt fan. Can't help myself and I make no excuses. The Fiend was the most interesting character that the WWE had in its books. Then Goldberg happened. But what should have been the burial of the character didn't work, as he still had a brilliant match with John Cena that put The Fiend back in the spotlight at last year's WrestleMania. So by the time Randy Orton set him on fire at TLC, I was more than happy to see how the story played out. 
as it seemed the Ark was Bray getting his redemption on those who had wronged him previously. With them due to face off at WrestleMania 37, it would surely be the Fiend who would walk out of the show of shows victorious. Right? When Orton and Wyatt faced off at WrestleMania 31 in the House of Horrors match, I never thought I'd see, at least in my lifetime, a match so fucking terrible that it made me want to gouge out my own eyes with rusty spoon. Then this fucking thing happened. There should be a special level of hell reserved for whoever booked this, and they should be forced to spend the rest of eternity watching LJ Gante matches on loop while having Jim Corner bellow in their air about how that's real wrestling, brother. In one fell swoop, they managed to kill not only Bray Wyatt, but Alexa Bliss, who has gained so much momentum and respect for her work here, basically carrying the feud until Wyatt's return. The Fiend character is now dead. It just is. And the sooner that Bray Wyatt moves on to greener pastures, the better. Get out, Bray. Get out while you can. This was followed up by the women's tag titles match, and as I said earlier, I don't give a shit about it, and cared even less after the abomination that I'd just been forced to sit through. So fair play to Jackson and Shayna for retaining, but I was busy on the shitter. Sami Zayn vs Kevin Owens, however, was an entirely different kettle of fish. This was as close to an actual indie match that you're ever likely to see within the confines of the WWE, and it was a showstopper. Both men went at it as if they had no plans to ever set foot in a ring again, and it was hot spot after hot spot. You seriously didn't have time to catch your breath as they both pulled out the kind of hard-hitting, high-impact wrestling that no doubt gave Jim Cornette kittens. I was pretty sure that Kaya was going to win this, but the whole thing was so well put together that there were serious moments where I doubted my initial prediction. The one thing I could have lived without, however, was Logan fucking Paul sat at ringside. I mean, it's not bad enough that this schmuck has to ruin the sweet science of boxing by pretending he's a fighter, when we all know that if he ever set foot in the ring with anyone who could handle themselves, he'd be crying like a little bitch with a skin knee in about 30 seconds flat. We now have to have him bleed over into wrestling. Whoever told Vince McMahon that the internet was a thing needs an ass kick. Anyway. KO dropped in with a stunner after KO had won the match, so that made me feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Then Riddle vs. Sheamus happened, and now he zoned out again. I'm sorry, I like the Kelwick Warrior, but Riddle really gets on my fucking tits. I get it. You're a bro. Nice act. That wasn't stale after about 20 minutes. On the plus side, I snapped back into reality to see Sheamus kick him so fucking hard in the face that I laughed like a drain, and he ended up with a split lip. Which was nice. And the shit on night two just kept coming in waves, as up next was the Nigerian drum fight between Apollo Crews and Big E, and Mr. Interference showed up again, just as it was getting good. I hate this crap. If you can't book a story to a finish on the biggest show of your year, then don't book the fucking story. Anyway, after these two had beat the shit out of each other for a bit, some big fucker showed up and trashed Big E, Apollo Crews became champion, and I question whether or not I should be doing something else with my life. If it hadn't been for the last two matches of the night, then this half of WrestleMania would have been a total washout. Now, no matter what a certain owner of Sports Obsessive might think, Rhea Ripley versus Asuka was the equivalent of Flair versus Steamboat, considering the gash that had come before it. Fair enough, it wasn't a five-star classic by any means, 
but it was a well thought out, well put together match that might have leaned a little too hard on Ripley as a heel for my liking, but still delivered with some pretty damn stiff blows and some handy technical wrestling. If you're going to put this match up against Banks and Belair from the previous night, then it's no contest. Ripley vs. Asuka wins hands down. Was it a classic? No. But was it better than the rest of the shit on the show? Owen Zane withstanding? Good God, yes, by a country mile. If that had been the appetizer for the main event triple threat match between Roman Reigns, Edge and Daniel Bryan, well, this was the four-course meal of mindless violence. I was expecting a tough fight between these three men, but what I wasn't expecting was them to try to kill each other in their quest for gold. Right from the off, Reigns and Uso went out of their way to murder the other two men in the competition, and that set the tone for what would follow. Considering that both Edge and Brian had come back from career-ending injuries, every single blow dealt out or spear hit perfectly or Superman punch made me wince and want to turn away, but I couldn't. This was as close to perfect storytelling as you're liable to see in a WWE ring for a very long time. It ebbed and flowed beautifully, without a real chance for anyone to catch her breath before the next devastating sequence took hold. But it was after Edge snapped that I really started to fear for everyone's safety. That's how convincing the rated R superstar is. That when he pulled off the concerto on Daniel Bryan, I thought he'd broken his fucking neck again. And that ended with Reigns pinning both Edge and Brian should go down as one of the best sign-offs in WrestleMania history. Seriously, that image is still burnt into my brain some 24 hours later. Roman Reigns is the head of the table. This proved it, and we should all be grateful to feast on his scraps. With the Tribal Chief standing tall and the final firework fading over Tampa Bay, it's time for my final thoughts on WrestleMania 37. Overall, it was shit, and won't live long in the memory. The problem here is that last year was the mother of invention thanks to this fucking pandemic and with their backs to the wall the WWE pulled off a great show. But this year it was almost like they reverted to type and thought fuck it, people are going to watch it anyway, people are going to show up, let's just pull some ideas out of a hat and go with that. This drives me crazy. When they're on their game nobody can touch the WWE, they can put on a brilliant show, we all know this. But this year, they swung for the fences and missed by a week. I don't know if it was laziness on their part or that they got about two months out from the show and realized they didn't really have shit to go with. But for whatever reason, this year's WrestleMania was a bust. And worse than that, it was fucking boring. Anyway, I'd like to thank you for listening to the first ever episode of the Weekly Wrestling Review. And when you're done with my dulcet tones, head on over to the Sports Obsessive site and get your eyeballs some seriously good reading. Also check out its sister sites, 25 Years Later and Horror Obsessive, as well as the Ruminations Radio Network for all the podcasts your ears will ever need. I've been your host, Neil Gray, and I'll be back with my thoughts on all the wrestling news that's fit to print in the next seven days. It's time for me to kick out. I'll speak to you soon.